We're looking at Acts chapter 11 today. So you can go ahead and turn there or flip there in your, you know, your literal Bible or you can search it in your digital Bible. And, and we're going to look at two different stories. Um, we're, we're looking at Cornelius' conversion. And, and I'll be quite honest with you. Um, I got assigned this passage, which, which I appreciate. But when I got assigned this passage, I really wasn't very familiar with it. So um, if you've talked to me any time over the past month and you've asked me, you know, hey, what are you preaching on coming up? You've probably heard me say Cornelius' conversion, but I really don't know much more past that. So um, I've spent a lot of time digging into this passage, and and God has just been using this passage um, to grow me. And so what we're going to do today, we're really just going to read through it. And we're going to pick out parts of it and just say, okay, what do, what do these aspects say for us in the room? Because I really believe that there's a lesson in this passage for all of us. And that there's a lesson for those of us that maybe you came to fam- with family to church today and you're here for the first time. Or maybe you're somebody, you know, that you've been in church your whole life. There's a lesson within this passage for us today. And, and so if you are joining us for the first time, I just want to remind you that we're in the middle of this story called This Is My Story. And what we're doing in this series is we are trying to look at different stories throughout the New Testament, stories of conversion, and just focus in and say, what is God uniquely teaching us in these passages? And so that's exactly what we're going to do today with Cornelius's conversion, is we're going to look at this and we're really just going to kind of flip it upside down. So I'm going to do a lot of reading, and I'll be honest, reading up front is not my favorite thing. So I'm going to read a lot for us this morning, but it's because this passage really shares itself. It really just kind of teaches itself as we go through it. So I've, I've beat the dead horse to death. Let's stand now and let's read the scripture here. This is chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 18 this morning of chapter 11. Now the apostles and the prophets, oh, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard, hold on a second, <laughs> told you I don't like reading up front. All right. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from the heavens by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey, reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered with the second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened to me three times, and as I was drawn up again into heaven, uh, the linen was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at the very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And behold, uh, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring to Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, and you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift of them as he gave to us when he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was, who was I that I could not stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, then, 
then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray this morning. Father God, I just praise you for this story, Lord. Um, Father God, as we look at the conversion story of Cornelius, um, the first Gentile believer, Lord, um, God, I, 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 I hope you will remind us this morning that you are constantly at work. God, that there's hope in you. God, that there's nobody that's too far gone. But Father God, rather there are people that are just waiting to hear the gospel. People that are dying to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord. Father God, I pray this morning that you encourage us. God, that you send us out to those who are ready. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can take a seat this morning. I want you to have two different kinds of people floating in the back of your mind this morning. See, we're going to look at this story of Cornelius, and, and this is really incredible. We're in Acts chapter 11. Um, I know you've probably picked up that part. That's the simplest part because the number's literally there. But this means that we are 11 chapters into the book of Acts, and the church has yet to share the gospel message with somebody who is not already a Jewish believer. So the entire church so far for 10 chapters in the book of Acts is compiled completely of people who were of Jewish descent, who have now claimed faith in Christ. So much to the point that when Peter actually shares the gospel message with somebody who's a not Jew, he gets hunted down by the rest of the church for them to ask him, what are you doing? This is where the church is at. Now, I I don't want to minimize this because even if you have a literal Bible this morning, just take it for a second and just flip back through and just look at the titles of what they've seen. I mean, they've seen Paul come to Christ at this point. You know, Paul's conversion, which we talked through in this series. They've seen the Ethiopian eunuch. They've seen people be healed. They've seen the descending of the Holy Spirit. They've seen all these things, and yet they're still standing here in this place where they're saying, What are you doing sharing to a Gentile? What are you doing sharing the gospel to somebody that doesn't look and act like we are? And so we're going to actually look back at chapter 10 because chapter 10 is the longer version of this story. And I'm going to pick bits and pieces out of it. But I want to recap the story with you before we do that just so you kind of know how the story goes, all right? So we have Cornelius. And we'll look at Cornelius in more detail here in a minute. But Cornelius is a Roman centurion. And Cornelius is someone who is interested in God, very intrigued, but yet nobody will share the gospel message with him. So then God sends a, dream, sends a vision to Peter. And in this vision, which we'll look at in more detail because that's probably one of the more confusing parts of this passage, Peter is convinced that God is telling him to go share the gospel with somebody who's not Jewish. So God orchestrates these events, he brings them together, and Cornelius' entire household receives the gospel message. Now, I don't know about you, but I have people in my life, and it may just be because I'm a pastor, but I believe it's probably true for all of us, that I have people in my life that are sitting in the same place that Cornelius is. They're really waiting for somebody to share the gospel message with them. That they're sitting in a place where they may even say, you know, I believe in God, believe there's a God, I just don't know anything about this Jesus. And so often do I just not talk to them because of something. It's, it's probably either my pride, my fear, maybe it's like Peter, it's fear of judgment. Maybe there's somebody that they're sitting in a spot that, you know, you don't want to talk to them because you're concerned that other people are going to be like, why are you associating with this person? 
See, this, this story here rips all of that to shreds. So let's take a look at it. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 10. Uh, we're going to start with verse 1. We're really going to be asking, answering the question, who is Cornelius and why would they be concerned to share the gospel with him? This is 10 verse 1. At Caesarea was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, uh, um, a centurion of what was known the Italian co- cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision the angel of God come to him and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him uh, in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So the first person we're introduced to this series, in, in this story is Cornelius. See, Cornelius is a Roman centurion. Now, if you know anything about the Roman centurions, I'll give you a picture up here. This is a um, pretty accurate just sculpture of what a Roman centurion would look like. Again, um, Cornelius is in Caesarea. So let's keep in mind that Caesarea is a, is a um, Jewish Sorry, it's a Jewish providence created by Herod the Great, but there are Roman centurions that are there, which either means that he's there as a guard for Rome, or he's either there as somebody who is retired and he's there. But yet, he's someone who's devoted his entire life to serving the Roman Empire. And this is who Cornelius is. So not a textbook person that, w- that you would assume would receive the gospel message. Again, we see Roman centurions all throughout the New Testament. Um, the Roman centurions would be the people that were responsible for the events of the crucifixion. So these would be the people that literally were executing Christ. That would be a role of a Roman centurion. There also we see Roman centurions as the people that are often guarding the tomb. We see Roman centurions in battle, again, at a more common role like war. This would have been Cornelius' background. And see, if you know anything about Rome, Rome has tons of gods. So Cornelius would have also been someone who would have been exposed to answers for his questions around deities and who is God and what, and what is he like in things. But none of those things have sufficed Cornelius' questions. So what's Cornelius do? Well, He starts to look around and explore, okay, what are the other gods? What are the other options for me? And Cornelius actually is someone who begins to fall interested with the God of the Bible, the one true God. This is what the text records. It says that he began to pay alms. What this means is that he was potentially actually giving money to the temple, giving money to people, giving money to the poor because he believed it is what God wanted him to do. This is Cornelius. This is what he's doing. It defines him as God-fearing in your Bible. Now, God-fearing isn't a nominal term. It's not just saying that Cornelius is somebody who may, you know, like maybe slightly interested in God, but really isn't being faithful. No, Cornelius is somebody that is striving to actually be faithful to God, and yet no one will share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with him. Nobody is interested in coming to Cornelius and telling him that God has died for his sins. So he's left sitting there with his questions. Left sitting there to the point where God says, I'm going to do something about this. Now, this is um, farther hidden, um, this, this truth here, when we look at how Peter views Cornelius. I'm going to skip a part of this passage and we'll come back to it, but this is in verse 25 
Um, This is what Peter says as he approaches Cornelius to share the gospel with him. In verse 25, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up and saying, stand up, I too am a man. Let's pause there for a second. Cornelius is so hungry for the gospel message that literally he's falling at the feet of anybody that he thinks is a messenger of God to share the gospel with him. All right, just keep that in the back of your mind as we keep reading here. So he says, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, listen to this, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. See, without God intervening, Cornelius, or Peter will not even share the gospel with somebody that's outside of the Jewish nation. See, he sees him as somebody that's unclean. He sees him as somebody that's common, as he says. Common implying somebody that's not worthy of hearing the gospel message. See, again, church, we have to remind ourselves that, again, this is 11, this is 10 chapters into the book of Acts. We have to remember that we as a people can become so calloused to sharing the gospel message with those that don't look like us, those that don't act like us, those who maybe don't follow all the rules, maybe they've got some small misstep in their life. You know, maybe they're into, you know, science and things and we're concerned that we don't want to answer their questions. We have to remember that we can become so callous to sharing the gospel with people outside that we, could, that we are at risk of falling to a place where we become unwilling to share with people because they don't look like us. This is where Peter's at. Someone who's seen God move immensely. So God comes to him. All right, we're going to turn back here. This is verse 10. How does God change Peter's mind? How does he change his perception of him? This is verse 10 in the passage. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all the kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have not eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time and said, What God has made clean, do not call common. All right, let's pause and let's focus on the humor in this before we move on because I have to. Peter's hungry, all right? Peter's hungry and he falls into a trance. Let's just say that he does what um, sometimes I think older people call resting his eyes. And he, and he sits back as he's hungry and he falls into a trance. Now, most, most depictions of this, which are pretty accurate, are going to look like this picture. Can we get this picture up here? This, this is literally what he sees, okay? This is what he sees in his dream. But, but what he actually sees probably looks more like this picture. Your Thanksgiving dinner. Recognize the humor in this. Peter is hungry, and God gives him a dream of all the food that he can't eat. This is what he sees. He sees all this food, and he says, and God says to him, Peter, kill and eat. And also keep in mind, 
that Peter has the audacity to respond back to God. I mean, he believes it's God the whole time and say, no, I'm not going to do that because I've never touched anything unclean before. None of that food's ever touched my mouth and therefore I'm not going to eat this. Again, he's talking to God. Passage never says that he thinks it's just a dream or a message. Like, this is his direct response to what God's saying to do. And what's God's response to him? He says, do not call unclean what I have made clean. Do not call common what I have not made common. See, God, and catch this, has to convince Peter to share the gospel with someone who's outside of the Jewish faith using his dietary restrictions. That is the level of which God has to come down to make it clear to Peter that he wants to reach all people with the gospel message. He has to take his dietary laws to convince him that it's okay to share the gospel message with somebody else. Let's put that in our context for a minute. You know, I remember when I was younger, and, and, and I act, I'm saying this like I'm not still concerned with the pay, way that people view me, because I am, but I remember when I was younger that there was a lack of willingness in me for sometimes to share the gospel with people outside of, say, my youth group. Why? Well, I was concerned with being associated with them. Maybe they cussed every now and then. Maybe they said the wrong things. Maybe I was just worried that they wouldn't get it. Maybe they were doing the wrong things. See, God takes a sheet and gives Peter a vision of all the animals on this earth and says, do not call them, un- or do not call them unclean. I have made them clean. You gotta ask yourself for a minute, what are the restrictions that you've placed in your mind to share the gospel with somebody else? And what does God say about those people? See, I think for us, we have restrictions. We have things. We make these rules to say, "Mm, that person can't hear it because of this. That person, they would never understand the gospel because of this way that they think or this thing that they're into. Not going to share with them. They're not willing to hear it. See, often, very often in fact, they actually may just be waiting for you to share the gospel message with them. We can't let things like dietary restrictions come between the way that we share the gospel with other people. We can't let the fact that people look different than us prevent us from sharing the gospel with other people. Let's put it in a national sense. We can't let the fact that, you know, Peter is a Jewish person prevent him from sharing the gospel with somebody who is Roman. See, the gospel message of Jesus Christ breaks all party lines. It is for all people. God has said that he has made all people in his image. I'm not negating the fall. I'm not negating sin. I'm not telling you to accept people for their sin. But what I am saying is that God has said, I have created everything Don't you dare call it unclean. See, there is nobody that is too far to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And let me spin that another way. There are people who actually are sitting there waiting for you to share 
the gospel message with them. See, in verse 36, we get a picture of how God sees all people. And this is the lesson that Peter has learned through this vision. This is verse 34 to 36, sorry. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word, as for the word he has sent to Israel, preaching good news of the peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. This word partiality, if it's something that trips you up, let me give you a better word that you've heard probably a lot lately um, in different aspects of our world. Partiality is another way to say bias. See, what Peter is saying is that God shows no partiality. God shows no bias in who he wants to share the gospel message with. There is no person that is unable to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. God shows no partiality. Those who seek him, God is going to seek them out. And see, that's what he's saying here. That Cornelius, a Roman centurion, is so interested in hearing the gospel message of Jesus Christ that God sends Peter to share it with him directly. And the results of this, his entire house is saved. See, this is what we see when we look at the story of Cornelius. So I just want to remind us this morning, again, that there is nobody that is too far from hearing about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The second part of this passage is that God is the Lord of all. See, what this should remind us here, again, let's put this in a, in a political context for, for a moment, that you can be Roman, you can be Jew, you can be any nationality. You can have political alignments that are different than one another. You can be anywhere on the spectrum, and yet, if you recognize it or not, God is the Lord of all. Let me repeat that again. If you recognize it or not. See, God is saying in this vision that he's giving to Peter that I am the maker, I am the creator, I am the Lord of all all of this. And Peter, I have entrusted you with sharing the gospel message of these people. And yet, you're saying that you're unwilling. You're unwilling because of some reason that you've convinced yourself that your dietary restrictions are more important, which we all really know it really doesn't have much to do with the dietary restrictions, right? It has more to do with the fact that Peter's concerned with what other people think about him. Again, that's what happens, right? He shares the gospel, he pulls people in the other room and says, you know I'm not supposed to do this, guys, right? You know I'm not supposed to share with them, right? And then after he does share with them what happens, he gets hunted down by the, by the church police, you know? I, I would love to say I've never seen that in a modern context, but I have. And they go, what are you doing talking to him? What are you doing sharing the gospel with him? What, why would you do that? So Peter replies, God shows no bias. God shows no partiality, and therefore, I share the gospel message with him. The band's going to come back out here in a moment, and, and I want to try to speak to you as directly as I can. I want to speak to you, and I know that we're all in two different spots here. There, there's many of us in the room, and, and there are many of you who are you're obviously, you're older than me, and you've been following Christ longer than me, um, 
But for those of us in the room that we do claim to be followers of Christ, we need to remind ourselves that we are the vehicle in which that God intends to share the gospel message with other people. Don't let the, this is my story, emphasize you to say that this is my story for me. See, no, this is your story of how God has transformed you, has offered you forgiveness for your sins, has offered you redemption in the name of Jesus. Why? So that you share the gospel message with other people. That is God's intent. It's not something that's meant to be kept in this room. Is there is a world of people who desperately need to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. People that are sitting there just waiting for somebody to tell it to them. And as we said at the beginning of this series, Scott did in the very first week, that the gospel is something that's always told. Now I want to talk to the other class of people in the room. See, I know there are some of you who you're in the room today. I want to try the best I can to speak to you directly. That you are just waiting to hear the gospel message of Jesus. That maybe you've never came to the place where you've said, you know what, I'm in. I want to be a messenger. If you've been with us for all these weeks, you have listened to, you know, talk after talk about these incredible conversion stories. Maybe it's the time that yours begins today. Maybe it's the time for you to say, you know what, I want in. I want to commit to Jesus. I want to receive the gospel message. And again, as Peter says, for all who have heard the gospel message. And so I don't know a better way than to end today's message than to read to you Peter's words as he speaks to this Roman family, the very first non-Jewish family, the very first Gentile is the term you're probably familiar with, to ever hear the gospel as he reads these words to him. And I want to emphasize that this isn't Peter talking about all the miraculous things that God has done through him. This is Peter simply sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. So whether if you're sitting in the first seat and you need to be reminded, just as I do, that God is calling us to share with people, and you probably have people floating in the back of your mind right now, or you're sitting in a spot where maybe you're ready today to receive the gospel message of Jesus Christ for the first time. I'm going to read this passage for you, and then we're going to pray and sing this morning. But I want to encourage you, if it is your first time saying that, you know what, I want to receive this message like this, I believe this, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody to your right, talk to somebody to your left. You can come up front and find me after service, and we'd love to talk more. But I want to read this passage of Scripture. You know, In fact, I'm actually going to ask that we stand while I read it. And I'm going to pray. And then we'll continue in worship this morning. This is found in verse 37. This is Peter talking. Peter says, You yourself know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death 
by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of the sins through his name. See, church, we are witnesses this morning. If we are people who profess to believe in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the sins of each and every one of us in this room, for the sins of this world, we are witnesses. And we are messengers. And so if you're a friend that you're joining us in here today and you're saying for the first time that this is something that you're interested in, this is something that, you know, you want to receive this forgiveness that's offered through Jesus on the Christ, I'm going to pray, and there's nothing magical in this prayer. The magic is in the gospel message. And I'm going to pray for us this morning, and then we're going to continue in worship. Hey, Father God, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that you pour out redemption, love on all of us, Lord. Father God, that you don't leave us in our sin. Father God, that you are at work in redeeming us. God, that you offer us hope, not just to escape what we're going through, but in the midst of what we're going through, Father. So Father God, we declare our trust in you. Father God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Father God, we are witnesses. We praise you for that, Lord. Father God, I pray for those in the room that maybe they've never came to a point in which they've said, you know what, I want to receive the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Father God, remind them that they are not too far gone. Father God, we praise you. We lift our voices in worship out of the goodness of who you are, Father. To your son, Jesus' name that we pray, amen.